Hello there. You're listening to Ayahuasca Talks at Radio Regent. And today I have a guest here, uh, Guy Crittenden. Hello, Guy. Hi there, and thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. Oh, Not I, everyone does that. <laughs> I'm so glad I did. Um, so we're here today to talk about ayahuasca. And uh, you have written a book called uh, The Year... Of drinking magic. <laughs> I think that was a bit of magic happening right there. Yeah, that was a big, uh, big intro for my book. <laughs> Thank you, Mother Ayahuasca. <laughs> so I think that we should start again with a little uh, background, very brief, about ayahuasca itself. Um, even though I suspect that a lot of listeners do know what it is. For those who don't, uh, ayahuasca is an ancient shamanic medicine and it's two plants combined uh, into a brew that we drink, uh, that participants in these sacred ceremonies drink and have an experience that's, uh, that's quite hard to describe, but, but many of us are doing our best because it's a deeply profound experience, um, very healing, life-changing, and uh, it's growing exponentially in popularity, uh, especially in the West because it tends to help people address uh, some issues that we're having difficulty addressing in, in conventional ways, such as depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, and, and so many other um, issues that we're facing today. Um, and so this is a big discussion. Uh, that those of us who've experienced it really love to talk about these experiences because um, they are so transformational and they're, they, they have changed our lives and they've hinted um, at answers to the question of our consciousness in a way that I think uh, piques the interest of, of most of humanity, really. <laughs> I mean, how can we not be curious about um, about our, our own consciousness, you know, and our shared consciousness, and and these these bigger questions. Uh, and on a personal level, it's 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 truly fascinating. So um, I'm going to ask you um, about the title of the book and and how you came up with that. Well, uh, it's called the the Year of Drinking Magic: Twelve Ceremonies with the Vine of Souls. Uh, that's the working title. It might change, although I doubt it. Um, I guess uh, it's appropriate because it covers the first 12 times that I drank ayahuasca. Um, it was over just about a year, just over a year. Uh, so it was my magical year. It was a transformational year for me. Um, it, it accelerated my own personal journey, my own personal awakening into higher consciousness or the enlightenment process, if you want to think of it that way. And of course, as my mother, who used to be um, a book editor and book reviewer for the papers, uh, picked up on quickly, um, it's, there's a bit of a, a nod to the book, The Year of Magical Thinking, and also the, the book and film, The Year of Living Dangerously. There's a bit of a, a bit of a, a a tip of the hat to those those books, but it's uh, yeah it stands on its own, and um, I think it's catchy. And I've got a, a cover image that shows me with my 
hand, which has a, as you can see, not your listeners, but you can see it has a, a Celtic or Very cool tat. a <laughs> tattoo of a snake on it. And the snake is on my hand, the head of the snake. And on the cover, I'm, I'm either receiving or offering a glass of ayahuasca. And I tend to, I like the ambiguity of it, but I tend to think of it as that um, the reader is receiving ayahuasca and that the book is ayahuasca or the book is medicine for their souls. Well, actually, you know, I've discovered myself that ayahuasca comes through in so many ways, uh, not only just through drinking the medicine, but the experiences that we have both before and afterwards. And it's, it's, it's a powerful presence, you know, in, in our lives today that uh, it's important for people to become aware of because there are all kinds of possibilities there. People should know that the book is not out yet. Okay. Um, I had a successful crowdfunding on a website. It's kind of an Indiegogo for publishers called Publishizer. And uh, I was, uh, was a couple of months, and I raised almost $7,000 to put toward the book. Um, this is in the form of pre-orders, so I received uh, uh, over 300 pre-orders of the book, and I have to obviously use some of the money that I raised to pay for those books to be printed and mailed. And I'm in negotiation now with a couple of publishers uh, who feel, one, one in particular, that feels really right for me. So I have the funds to self-publish, but um, it looks like I'm going to get a, an actual publisher. That's fantastic. I think that um, what we're going to find is there are a lot of people who are writing books about this, which is great. Like, I, I've, I'm writing my own. I'm interviewing other authors. People really want to talk about this experience because it's huge. I, I feel uh, actually that I need to get this book out yeah, now exactly. because I feel like I'm a surfer, just catching the wave at the right time. Right. And if it, if it were to take, say, one more year, it's going to be a crowded market. Well, so I better get it out now. Okay, I will say this, though, and I, I can appreciate that kind of thinking, but um, at the same time, I've been at this for years now, and I never tire of hearing people's stories of ayahuasca and other plant medicines. Honestly, I don't, because they're all so <laughs> intriguing. They're also, you know, deeply fascinating. And in, in each story, there's there's this hint at, at these bigger things. And it's yeah. it's not like any regular conversation that I've ever had with anybody. I've had the best conversations in my life over the last few years since I've discovered medicines. And I was wondering if you wanted to share, um, first of all, what brought you to the medicine, and then maybe share some of your experiences with the medicine. Hmm. That's a big question. Uh, hard to answer, but one way to approach it is I would say that um, I had been practicing Buddhism for a number of years. And when I say practicing, I would emphasize practicing as in learning a new musical instrument. Right. <laughs> Probably the most undisciplined Buddhist in the world and really lousy about uh, maintaining anything like a regular meditation practice. I'm that guy who's always saying, I, I'm really going to get back to meditating tomorrow. And then it somehow always falls away. But um, so I can relate to this <laughs> in my own way. So yeah, I'd, I'd done it diligently for a while, and I'd read these uh, bunch of books, my favorite being uh, Brad Warner, the uh, American punk rock bass player who became an ordained Soto 
Zen Buddhist priest and worked for in Japan for the company that makes Godzilla movies. Okay, I think I heard about this guy. Is he from the UK? No, he's, he's from uh, Ohio, and he's a, a very humble guy, very interesting guy. His, the covers of his books usually have pictures of Godzilla on them or something really deliberately campy and kitschy. And he's very irreverent, and he has a, he has a real potty mouth. And uh, his whole tone was so unserious that I, I enjoyed reading his books, but they're actually very serious books. And he, uh, his, his book, Sit Down and Shut Up, <laughs> on meditation is one that uh, apart from the funny title it's actually, I, th I think if I'm remembering the right book um, it's a very serious explication of the um, teachings and writings of the 12th century Zen monk Dogen who is to Zen writing what Shakespeare is to English literature but his writings are very diff impenetrable, to, especially to Westerners. So this inspired you? Yeah, I, I was on this path, and it was, um, to get to the point, uh, it was in those writings that I first really got deeply acquainted and had my first aha moments with the concept that we are all local manifestations of a universal consciousness, or I prefer to call it a universal awareness. Um, and... It was in pursuit of going deeper and further with understanding that awareness that I was drawn to ayahuasca. How did you find out about it? I had a friend, a female friend who had drank ayahuasca. And I'd also been starting to, I'd started to encounter it in my readings and online. I started researching it, but, and I read Graham Hancock's book, uh, I think it's called Supernatural Meetings with the Ancient Teachers of Mankind, right, okay. where he talked about drinking that in a bunch of shamanic visionary plants. And I had a friend who'd actually done it, and I thought, gosh, you know, she's, she's a yoga teacher, and I thought if she had the guts to go to Peru <laughs> and actually do this, right. maybe I should do it. You know, when you actually know someone in the 3D world who's done something, it, it, it's a little different than, than reading about it. Right. So... Uh, so, yeah, it was really in, you know, some people go and do this because they have a specific medical problem yep. or they're suffering from depression or PTSD or addiction. Mm -hmm. With um, you, it was a deep curiosity, huh? Yeah, I, I'm, I was more the classic spiritual seeker type, and, um, and I still am, frankly, um, although I have received healing that I didn't expect. You know, I, I had developed a... Uh, some kind of an alcohol dependency after I divorced 10 years ago and I wasn't using alcohol in a in a way that was a positive thing in my life I, I wasn't an out-of-control alcoholic or anything but I noticed that when I came back from Peru having drank my first three times I was uh, I was no that was just an issue that evaporated like rain on Georgia asphalt that's fabulous um, yeah, so, so I was in pursuit of this idea of this awareness, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, in directly and indirectly, is that, you know, we have our minds, we have our emotions, and we have our bodies. So we have physical sensations, we have feelings, and we have thoughts. And as anyone who's studied Buddhism or certain other modalities knows, um, these are all impermanent, they're all ever-changing, and they're the, the smaller S self, or the egoic self. 
I was in search of the capital S self, the universal self. And I was, as people typically do, I was having trouble connecting with it, finding it, figuring out what it is. When I did finally connect with it, um, which I did a little bit through meditation, and I certainly got there in a big way with ayahuasca, then I had more of a sense of what it is I was trying to be in touch with all the time. You know, having directly, unmitigatedly been on my knees, seeing the burning bush, you know, to th think of it in Abrahamic terms. So, is, uh, are you going to get into your experience itself? Yeah. Would yeah. you feel comfortable doing Oh, of course, <laughs> okay, of course. Great. Yeah, the first, uh, in the book, I... The early chapters deal with my trip to Peru and my first three times drinking, and then, of course, describing other ceremonies in in real detail. With a lot, and I, for the for me, these things are intensely visual. I see, sure. I see the sacred geometry. Um, I see three dimensional landscapes that are almost like remote viewing experiences. Um, How so? Well, I'm I had one for example where. I mean, in just in one night, I will have might have dozens of these kinds of things, some more powerful than others. Uh, one lesson that I got was a lesson, because ayahuasca doesn't talk to you in words a lot. It's more that it shows you or makes you feel something that you need to feel. Or know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, there's direct knowledge. I love that. Any, like... Anyone who's drank ayahuasca knows what I'm talking sure, about. Sure, yeah. Um, but f for those who haven't, uh, and this doesn't happen to everybody, at least not right away, but I got a, a, a big teaching in masculinity, and even though most of my teachings in from the teacher, this teacher plant have been, had a very female kind of vibe to them, um, I did get a teaching in taking ownership and stepping into my masculine power. I had a very complex relationship with my father and stepfather that had, I mean, they did a lot of wonderful things for me, but I think at some point I went adrift from my core as a male uh, embodiment, if you will. And the teaching was, it just presented itself that I found myself uh, standing up and I was actually standing in the ceremony and I found myself dancing and it was this real sort of tribal <laughs> African Zulu type <laughs> dance, right? Cool. And I looked down at my body and I had black skin and I was wearing the sort of leopard skin clothes of what I would guess to be a Zulu warrior and... And I, and I looked out and I was in the, on the African savanna and uh, it was grasslands and it was a bright blue sky. And it, my ordinary consciousness had no way of knowing that I wasn't really in that setting. So you felt things physically? You felt that experience? Oh, oh completely. Yeah. I, it, it was like being on the holodeck in Star Trek. I, right. It was an immersive experience. And so I did this dance and I enjoyed being in that state of being. And then I thought, of course, ab about it afterwards and reflected on it. And I, I, I could honestly say it changed me. I, I'm, I'm, I move through the world more confidently in greater possession of my masculine energy than I would have before. So d did you ever at any time during that experience feel that it might have also been um, a past life experience? 
Yes, and I wrestle with that a lot, and what, and I do believe in reincarnation, but I don't understand the logistics of reincarnation. <laughs> I don't know if and, we have to, but yeah. But um, <laughs> I, the 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 thing that the, that taunts me, the intellectual question is, you see, what I think I'm doing with ayahuasca, and it's just a working hypothesis, and I hold these opinions lightly, because I think that's wise. Um, but uh, uh, I feel that I'm interacting with this cosmic awareness that is behind everything. This is the thing that meditators seek to connect with, where it's the thing that experiences your thoughts but isn't your thoughts, right? And if, that, if there really is a universal consciousness or awareness that's foundational to reality, and this is what quantum physicists are starting to say, then... It knows everything. It has been every creature. It is a repository of all knowledge. So I'm not, I, I don't know how to distinguish between what might have been a past life or what might simply be someone else's life and I'm being put into that person's consciousness by the universal awareness in order to experience something. Yeah, that, I guess you're right. Like, it, it doesn't really matter because you got out of it what you needed to get out of it. And that's really what ayahuasca is very good at doing. It's us that have these, like, <laughs> questions because, you know, we have this curiosity. But there's nothing wrong with that, too. Yeah. It's just as long as we don't get to the point where we become obsessive with, I have to know, I have to know. I don't know. <laughs> I, may, I may be obsessive. I, I, I admit. I, I think I'm on and, on and off at times. I've been cured, actually. I think I believe I've been cured because of my own um, continuing experiences. I just I, I got exhausted with all the questions I was asking and realized that I had to limit it to what was actually useful and, and meaningful in my life. True. But it doesn't stop I, my I, curiosity. I, <laughs> I feel called to figure some of this stuff out in order that uh, I would like to encourage more research um, by other communities like the scientific community into those aspects. I'm quite interested these days in um, making, drawing the links, which other people are starting to draw too, between um, scientific uh, and quantum reality, which is showing us that the world is made up of information and this is where this guy Tom Campbell fits in who uh, it's Campbell with a P and I recommend people seek out his talks and videos on uh, YouTube he has a very good one with the biologist Bruce Lipton oh, right. where okay. they're both sitting talking very informally in someone's backyard or I think it's Tom's backyard and he, he wrote a book called My Big Theory of Everything or My Big Toe. And he has a good sense of humor. He actually has a picture of his big toe on the cover. And anyway, the point of the story is that um, the bleeding edge of the leading edge of physics is starting to reveal that if you go down to the most minute level of uh, subatomic particles, you start to get into a realm where what's showing up is that the universe is actually made up of data it's made up of information and it's actually described by code and some of this code is very specific it's not just any code it's code that computer programmers recognize so there's some really freaky stuff going on in the world <laughs> of physics right now that most people are unaware of and a lot of people in the sort of spiritual community who might go to a yoga workshop or a meditation class 
some may read this stuff, but a lot don't. And uh, what I'm kind of jazzed about is, is that um, I'm finding that what they're discovering over there has a direct applicability to, uh, to what we're discovering in the world of psychonauts and uh, spiritual adventurers. Sure, yeah, yeah. We're, we're almost coming at the same thing from different angles. Angles, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And w one of the things that ayahuasca showed me is that we are living in a simulation. Now, in the old days, and they would have said, "Oh, we're we're Buddhist, we're we're the Lord's, we're God's dream," you know, or or they talk about Brahma consciousness. Um, nowadays, we we might say that we're in a cosmic video game. Oh, sure. Like, I mean, it's just that the, I guess the references change as as our experience changes. Yeah. But they're just words, you know. I think we do get caught up in in that. Um, I I get a lot of a lot of words from ayahuasca. It just happens to be my tool, but I get other things as well. But I remember in one in one um, experience that I had with her, she said, uh, words are very dull instruments. Yes. <laughs> and she was encouraging me, because I'm trying to sort through all this stuff out of genuine curiosity at times. And uh, and she just said, they're, they're just words. They're just ways people are describing their experience. And all of these different avenues you're talking about are just different choices of, of routes of inquiry, right? right? And someone might take the spiritual route and someone might take the scientific route. But the cool thing is us all arriving at a similar spot and then there's no divisions anymore, which yeah. is really neat. I mean, I, I could now, thank, thanks to certain readings I've done or videos I've watched, I could sit with somebody who is very left brain, dominant, uh, would never... Uh, talk about astrology uh, would be a linear thinker, a material, an atheist, a materialist, and I could talk to them about my, some of my own conclusions in a way that I think they would find uh, very acceptable. Um, and and I, you know, as a person who works in words, I do face, especially, and I faced it with the book, is the challenge of of talking about things that really cannot be adequately described with words. It, it is experiential, so we have to preface anything that we might say um, by saying, well, what I'm about to talk about, or the book you're about to read, is really about things that you ought to experience if you have the gumption to do so. Uh, you, we will always have the armchair travelers who will uh, read about an experience they never intend to have, okay. and hopefully they too will get something out of it. Yeah. But, um, oh, I mean, I think sometimes even hearing someone's story, you have your own experience of that. Like, stories are really powerful. I mean, there's a reason that they had such impact from things like the Bible and all the rest of it. I still, like, this is another vehicle that ayahuasca uses to teach us things as stories sometimes for me. Oh, but. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll give you a great example um, of one that was a teaching. And, and the Kirandero, who I sat with in... Um, in Peru, in this retreat center called Nahu Riau, outside of Iquitos. Oh, uh, I heard about that. His name's Ricardo Amarengo. They have several there, but he's he's a very, uh, I think, a very powerful shaman. And he always advised us, you know, to not just passively experience these things, that it's an act of negotiation and that you have to sit up and you have to do the work and not just lie down and have this wash over you. Right. Although sometimes that's all one can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, 
one of the experiences I had, and I'm rewriting my opening chapter to include this right at the start because I wanted to have an exciting opening, um, was an experience, uh, this was probably in my 10th or 11th ceremony, where uh, I saw, it was almost like an old Super 8 movie, you know, it's slightly like the hand jiggling a bit, and like just like an old Super 8 home movie. And it was of my mother, and my mother who's now 82, but she might have been in her late 30s or early 40s in this little film in, on ayahuasca. And she was wearing a golf visor, and she was going to collect a golf club out of the back of a golf cart. Now, my mother doesn't play golf. She never has. And I, I saw her close up, her eyes beaming, looking at somebody who was kind of off camera. And uh, it was a really strange and very powerful little vignette, and then it went away. And then I lay there and I thought about, what does this mean? What was I just shown? And it was one of the most powerful lessons I ever received. And what I was being shown was my mother living another life in which she was not my mother. Oh, wow. That's quite interesting. Yeah, I was seeing my mother happy, having made different choices, maybe marrying someone else, maybe not moving from Australia to Canada. And it was just a life where I was never born. And I've got to tell you, there's like, I'll get I'll get choked up just talking about there's something powerful about seeing your mother, and she's not your mother. And what it gave me was this profound sense of appreciation, first of all, for having been born and created. Right. And secondly, for having her as my mother. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. And that's, that's one of the ways that the teacher plants work, is they, they, they show you something in a way that has huge emotional impact. Sure that you never would have thought of. Like I could have thought about my mother and my relationship with my mother, you know, for years and never have happened upon that exact thought. And again, it was not a thought, it was an experience. This is true. There's just ways that these, and and you use the term teacher plant and I think that's my favorite, um, that's my favorite description of this medicine because that's exactly what they do. And, you know, people get carried away with, oh, you see things. But there's this deeper part of it. You just described something that what you got out of it was the most important uh, part of that experience because you can say, okay, you can see someone else in a different life. And it's all very interesting. But it's how it made you feel and, and what came out of that, your appreciation for your mother, all the rest of it. They have these ways of... of giving you an experience that is far superior to anything anybody could ever say, you know? Yeah. And it's it's phenomenal. Um, I wanted to ask you, what kind of beliefs have changed since you have had these experiences, like going in with certain types of beliefs about, I don't know, the world, the universe, everything, yourself, um, the way things are, and, and coming out the other end going, okay. Um, Very different. It's not so much that they've changed in the sense of going in the opposite direction, but I I view the experiences as having acted on me like an accelerant in my own awakening. 
and so I, I never say to people, oh, I'm, uh, I'm awake or I'm enlightened, because that's a noun and it sounds arrogant, but I use it as a verb. I'm in an awakening process, and many of us are. And I think we maybe have many lifetimes during which we awaken. But I think in this lifetime, I've been very privileged to go maybe further than I had in previous incarnations. And what it's done for me is um, it's deepened my sense that what I think of as me is a kind of a hallucination. And this this level, I believe we are living in a multi dimensional reality and I now view my own persona even my own body as a kind of role that I play in the world it's like Shakespeare said all the world's a stage and each man hath his many parts or words to that effect and mm -hmm. I feel like I, I can play in this dimension more I have more my life has more of a schools out atmosphere about it um, I, things are less heavy for me um, because I realize, oh, this is, I, I, I can be Guy Crittenden, that's, that's a fine persona, I'll go through my days wearing that mask, but I I'm I'm, have this awareness of having been in the presence of or even manifesting that universal awareness, which is the thing that I think is eternal and persistent and behind everything. So it's been very liberating for me that way, and now I... I would say that um, my fr I have a friend, Angela, who refers to the honeymoon phase with ayahuasca where, <laughs> where people come back and they're like super excited and they're kind of like evangelical about it. Right. And I think I'm kind of over that stage. I'm still very enthusiastic about ayahuasca. I'll do it again. Right now I'm working with some different plants. But um, uh, it, it's, it's just a feeling of... Um, of having been awakened by that plant and now having the freedom to be in the world more lightly. Okay, in a uh, different way. Yeah. And Experiencing it differently. Yeah, and, and what I'm interested in most now is finding out, well, I call it practicing the yoga of everyday life. So what I try to do is instead of going from ayahuasca ceremony to ayahuasca ceremony, and this is the risk, right? Well, as with any modality, right. we always think, oh, my enlightenment is at the next retreat, or it's only when I'm on retreat that I'm really spiritual. I'm trying to get past that and do what uh, Ram Das advised, which is, you know, to take every experience of my waking life and turn it into my yoga, turn it into a growth process of choosing love over fear. And interestingly enough, that physicist Tom Campbell talks about exactly that. He says, the reason we're here is that we are embedded in a three-dimensional playground in which we're given all kinds of challenges where we're given the choice, do I respond with love or do I respond with fear? And every time we respond with love, we lower the entropy of consciousness. In other words, we help consciousness evolve and that's what we're here for we're not here to pay off a mortgage on a house <laughs> we're not here to buy the latest car right we we may do those things they're neither good nor bad but we are here to evolve consciousness and just knowing that is very liberating it's it's actually a very beautiful message um 
So um, for those of you who are tuning in, um, you are joining us for Ayahuasca Talks out of uh, Radio Regent here in Toronto. And we're speaking with Guy Crittenden um, about his ayahuasca experiences. And I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden, and we're talking about um, the medicines and messages. Um, I wanted to respond a little bit to that one about responding with love to these experiences we have. This is a lesson I'm getting over and over. Um, I have an ongoing relationship with ayahuasca that exists outside of me drinking the medicine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I will be made aware of situations that I get into that very deliberately provoke me in a way <laughs> where I know I'm being, you know, this is what, what they might call, I mean, suddenly I'm remembering my unfortunate religious introduction to spirituality and this being tested. <laughs> but I think that there's some truth to it. You know, it's just, again, a different way of looking at, at something and, and describing it and experiencing it. But now I get provoked um, quite often to, to, for this point to get through to me. And it's amazing what happens when I initially uh, chafe, you know, and, and then ultimately go, okay, I'm going to try it and respond with love. And it is magic what takes place because this very same scenario is happening with these very same people and suddenly it's like something changed utterly and completely because of the way I was approaching it. And instantly everything changes. I, I often look around when I have these experiences like, what just happened there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It can't be that powerful, but it really is. I, I have these experiences driving a lot of the time. You know, somebody, it's all good and well to think that you're an ascended master. Uh, and then somebody cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly you become, I become this, uh, you know, uh, very embodied, angry little, uh, um, little uh, dwarf creature that <laughs> is in, enraged and engulfed, and my face is all wizened and crinkled up, and I'm, and I, and then I stop myself and I go, oh my god, what just happened? Right. You know, I just, I just slipped majorly, and and it's important to learn to not beat oneself up about those oh, things. Oh yeah, then there's it's that. It's like just let it go, and <laughs> right. like there was a little <laughs> reminder that I've got to let go. You know, it, it, it taught, you spoke about the introduction to religion. Um, my mother's Anglican and goes to church, uh, it, not not a lot, but she goes, you know, on the high holidays type of things, Christmas and Easter. And when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I decided I wanted nothing to do with this. I didn't believe in this God that had always been presented to me as this patriarchal authority figure. And uh, like many people, I just, you know, turned off the whole thing and eventually went on a uh, a Buddhist path because there's not really a deity in Buddhism. <laughs> but I, How I, convenient. But I, <laughs> no, I don't have to be this <laughs> rebel. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed, um, you know, a couple of years ago that I, I found it in myself, especially having had all these teachings in, in the mother and the relationship and the honoring the mother, um, you know, that I decided, you know, I'm going to go to uh, the Christmas or the Easter service with my mother at her Anglican church and and it was so amazing, the transformation in myself, because instead of it being this egoic reaction against this thing that I didn't want to be part of, I was able to sit with her, enjoy the beautiful service, watch the people in these beautiful white gowns going down the center of the church, you know, holding the sacred book and candles and the 
beautiful choir. I even went up and took the Eucharist and drank the wine with my mother. It was very powerful. Yeah. Oh. It was this whole experience in sort of letting go and just saying, yeah, I can, I can be with this. Sure. This is incredibly beautiful. How could I not see how beautiful this is, even though it may not be exactly the template of how I experience spirituality. So, by the way, Guy, that is another thing that happened to you as a result of ayahuasca. I mean, this is the after, right? And oh. before. <laughs> so this is something that's big that you can do now. I mean, it's huge, right? And there's, well, and, and you said, you know, how has it changed me? Yeah. It's, it's in a lot of big things and little things like that. And I'm starting to realize that my work going forward is less about what I need to do, it's more about being. How am, how am I going to be in the world? And then how do I interact with others? And um, those, those are the richest rewards from the experience. Um, we're living in a time, as you know, of tremendous turbulence and, um, uh, uh, you know, we have some political leaders that we can't believe in and there's perpetual war and uh, uh, propaganda and just about everything I've studied now about the Middle East and Syria and other conflicts I realize we're being lied to by the mainstream media and misled and kept in this state of fear right right um, so so if we can work on being we can free ourselves we can achieve that kind of liberation and then uh, it's like uh, being the candle that can light a thousand candles. People encounter us, they're drawn to us, and we somehow pass on a bit of that. And uh, I, I won't go on about it, but I did have one experience just the other night. I decided to go to my local pub where I like to go one night a week and have a pint. And uh, a gentleman sat down beside me who... Um, had had a few drinks and we had a really lovely conversation. He noticed my tattoo, which often starts conversations. By the end of it, I was giving him, you know, uh, uh, an email about watching the film The Sacred Science. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, told him all about ayahuasca and other things. He, he had, had confessed a lot to me that he had a serious drug addiction problem. He was an alcoholic. He admitted to me that he was um, sitting there scheming about his plan later that night to get totally wasted and that he does that all the time. And, but he's in a high-pressure sales job and he's good at disguising it. So just sitting in a bar beside a guy who noticed my tattoo, I was able to have a very transformational conversation with that person. And, uh, um, and those kinds of little synchronicities and things happen and when he has the opportunity uh, to be of service to others, and that's ultimately why I get up in the morning. <laughs> it's to be of service. Whereas before, when I back when I was working in my previous career, it had a service dimension to it, but it was pretty much about me, you know, like and my family. You know, it started off I need to make money, I need to pay off a mortgage, and then I've got to look after my family. Um, uh, I, I'm at a place now where I just don't care about possessions. Um, I just care about having the time to pursue these interests and, and pursue a state of being that I th would like to see manifested by more people around the world. And it's got to start with us. It has to start with, it's, it's a one-at-a-time process. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, I can appreciate 
um, what you were saying, especially earlier about all of this um, political situation that we find ourselves in. Um, I came to ayahuasca because I was suffering from a very deep depression, and during that time, I was delving into all of these political matters, which, of course, didn't help things. (laughs) But I think that it was necessary for me, and and what I discovered uh, afterwards, I, I actually had a period of recovery from... Um, from engaging in in those kinds of things. And uh, what I was taught a lot is about this um, idea about how we are manifesting that on a large scale and how it exists inside of ourselves. And I get a lot of this through dreams. I don't know how much involved you. You talked about Buddhism um, with me. It's been the shamanic path. And so dream work is really important. So you wake up and suddenly you've had, like for me, I've had experiences like ayahuasca during the night. And one uh, revelation that happened just as I was waking up and it was sort of like ayahuasca was showing me all of the red tape inside me when I want to do something and then I I throw in all of these, you know, barriers. Oh, you can't do it because of this and because of that Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And it was kind of allowing me to see how that's reflected in the government, you know, Mm. that we have. We want to do this and rant at the government, where, 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 you won't let us do this. Like, well, guess what? But that's a big reflection of, you know, and so it it really was quite humbling and continued to underline the idea that um, we have to start with us, you know. Uh, It's it's very backwards. There's this whole, when they talk about shift, what often happens with a lot of people, and I'm sure you can identify with this, um, is coming out of ayahuasca, you start to realize that our thinking is kind of backwards and upside down about so many things. And when it shifts, um, you realize that that's the reflection that we're seeing. We're angry because the things we see are so backward. It's like the, um, this war is represented as this reason, but then we find out it's that. And then yeah. you start to discover yourself and things that you do. And you say, oh, I thought I was doing this because of this reason, but then it's because of that. And you can't help but see that reflection over and over. I'm, uh, I'm very active <laughs> on, that's well said. I'm very active on Facebook and um, uh, I operate a little page on there that I call The Resistance, which is just a place where I archive really good articles I find on geopolitics and stuff. And what I find is that, you know, people, I think the populations in most of the the countries in the industrial world are in a very codependent relationship uh, and an enabling relationship with government. So we, we look to government and we say, oh, you know, please stop doing this or please solve this problem. Um, if, uh, if there's anything I've learned, it's that we have to just go out and create the world that we want to see and not wait for someone else to do it. And I think Buckminster Fuller had a riff on that. You know, you're not going to bring about the change you want by criticizing what exists. You have right. to build the better model and people will gravitate toward it uh, or something like that. And so um, I'm involved in a couple of... Um, uh, small philanthropy startups. I'm on the board of an organization called the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy, right. which is run by my friend Jana Bell. And uh, I was one of one of the teachings I got when I was in Peru was uh, a teaching in how I manifest the colonial attitude. 
And oh, I, okay. I, this it, is interesting. Yeah, I was. I How was, did this come about? I Do was, tell. <laughs> I, well, I was. I was down there, and I was thinking. That, I was thinking I was humble. <laughs> we all have our own <laughs> idea of these things, right? Quite <laughs> different from really yep. being humble. And I was in the ceremony, and uh, I was made to feel the deepest level of shame. I was shown, you know, as a white male, how I really do embody the sort of, well, my parents are from Australia, so it's this sort of British, Australian, and Canadian imperial attitude toward the world, a huge sense of entitlement. And the, the medicine was basically saying to me, oh, you know, so you're going to go back home and you're going to be the cool guy <laughs> who drank ayahuasca. Very funny. You know, you're going to be, uh, you think you really, you, you, you don't really care about these people here. What have you done for these indigenous people? What are you actually going to do to protect this rainforest you say you care about? And there I am in the middle of the rainforest being show, shown this lesson. It was so bad that I went back to my room uh, in the middle of the ceremony, and you're not supposed to leave. Right. But I went and I changed out of this uh, ceremonial shapipo garment that I was wearing, and I put on my regular clothes. I didn't feel entitled to wear those Ooh. clothes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, finally, one of the assistants came out and, and retrieved me, brought me back to the ceremony because they said, it's time for your song, because there were three, oh, kir right. there were three yeah. kiranderos. And this one person, Geronimo, was going to sing me a specific medicine song. So I sat in front of him, and I, when he started singing, I felt this tremendous acceptance. And I, the other side of uh, Mother Ayahuasca showed itself. It was like Grandmother Earth, Gaia, the Gaian oversoul, embracing me. Oh, beautiful. You know, just, it, she, it, I had this tremendous feeling that she had understood that I had got the lesson oh, sure. and that I was welcome back in the ceremony. And so then I got back to North America and I thought, well, I've got to act on this. And when I found out that, through the, that this person I knew um, was starting an organization, this Amazon Rainforest Conservancy, and it's a charity, and what she does or what we do is we raise funds in the industrialized world to then purchase long-term leases because you can't go down and buy rainforest from the Peruvian government. Um, but you can do things like buy very long-term leases for Brazil nut concessions in the rainforest and then keep uh, implement sustainable practices and keep those lands out of the hands of wildcat gold miners and loggers. So it's a very small organization, but at least it's something. And so that's one thing that I've been doing. Beautiful. Um, I've been involved in another startup with a, on the board of an organization that my friend Angela Noon has started called Kindred Spirits, and it's very early days, but the goal there is to create an app uh, that will allow people to engage in barter, in for, especially for consci consciousness shift activities. So it, let's say you give me a, an hour of Reiki, you would get so many points that you could then use to go to someone else and maybe get 30 minutes of reduced price Thai massage or something like that. Oh, we definitely have to talk more about this. We're doing a lot of this at the Center for Social Innovation, so we should definitely yeah, continue yeah. this conversation. It's, uh, it's, it's growing. It's amazing, but, but this that, that kind of thing, getting away from fiat currency. Right. So these are all ways of just 
sort of taking action um, and to uh, to move through the world from that position of love and not fear. Right. And you know what's amazing is we can do that and we don't have to go to the government for approval, <laughs> right? Because well, yeah, there's is, nothing yeah. they can say. <laughs> uh, like it's one thing if you don't pay your taxes, but there's, not, there's nothing they can do to stop you doing painting my apartment and me looking after your dog. Well, I think that there's... Um, it, it's a matter of where it's coming from, the motivation, like most of all, I'm being asked to do things without any reference to anybody else because it's not only government. Sometimes people have family members in their mind that have a great influence and this desire for approval. Again, there's all of these levels of that influence beginning on the personal and then reflecting outwards. When you were speaking earlier about this um, relationship that we have, this dependency on the government, um, people... I find in religions have that same relationship with God and boy, how we ever taught about independence with medicines and how at the very beginning you mentioned this, how you don't just lay there. You really have to be an active part of this process of growing and awakening. And, and it has to be a choice, you know, and, and I love that. Um, it's, it's really um, been inspiring me to, um, well, in, in so many directions. I find I found in my own experience the first three or four ceremonies I sat through, uh, the medicine was working on me and my problems. So clearing up my relationship with my mother, my stepfather, my brother, my sister, to sort of work through the family. And it was like a radiating, I don't know, like a series of concentric circles. Then it became about my community and what more I could be doing at the community level. Then it went to the global level. See, yeah, that's and, beautiful. <laughs> and, which, and, and then um, I would go to ceremony. One of the reasons I'm taking a bit of a hiatus from ayahuasca right now, I am working with other plants like wachuma and, and edible cannabis, which are, interestingly enough, taking me to much the same place now as ayahuasca. But... Um, uh, I, I started getting my ass handed to me by the medicine. It should be like, what? You're back again? Haven't I given you enough work to do? You better not be here for your stupid problems, buddy. <laughs> and I wow. go into the ceremony and I go, well, um, no, I'm not. I, I kind of lie. Like, no, I'm not here for myself. As and, though they can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, funny. The, the, the problem with it, lying to the universal yes. consciousness is it's the universal consciousness. Yeah, yeah. You're just kidding It's like kidding Santa yourself. Claus. It sees when you've been naughty. <laughs> so, um, but I, but I would get these amazing lessons in service and com and uh, community. And then what really. Um, what then happened is I just found myself in the ceremony, sitting, bathed in a kind of golden, purple feeling kind of light, and I was just in this divine presence, and it was very holy, and I felt love pouring through my heart like a fire hose. And I realized this is the real awakening. It's not intellectual. No. It's yeah. not just intellectual lessons. It's this cracking open of my heart that I never knew was possible. And this was a very religious type of experience, <laughs> yeah. to use a word people don't like. <laughs> and then I thought I'd heard that, well, because of course the active chemical in ayahuasca is DMT. And so I, I 
I became aware of, I was introduced to a, a person who's a practitioner of DMT ceremonies. Oh my goodness, they're, they're being ceremonial about it now, okay. Yeah, and I, I kind of recommend that. I had, a, I had a friend who was bugging me to just do it with her in a very casual way, which was fine, but I didn't, for some reason I was drawn to sitting with this woman who is a kind of neo-shaman and she, she sits you down and does some meditation and some chakra work and all this kind of stuff. You know, I don't know how much of it to believe or not, but the point of view, point is it's smoking DMT is a very intense experience, and I yeah. wanted to be psychologically in the best possible place to do it. And the, the reason I dropped that into the conversation is that um, what I experienced with DMT was... Uh, that instead of being in the presence of the divine, I became the divine. But I didn't actually become anything. It's just that everything that's illusion, that's not me as my divinity or you as your divinity, fell away. And I just spent what felt like eternity, and apparently it was only 12 earth minutes. <laughs> right. But I spent time in being in that state of non-duality. That's fantastic. Yeah, which, I th which is, you know, that's really what the saints and sages are after, is to be in the state of non-duality. So I've experienced it for 12 minutes. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be in that place all the time. I don't think I would be able to function in the world if I was, because we did evolve to be successful hunter-gatherers. So, um, but I, I, it's changed. That changed my belief system, and that's why I now feel that I've had an experience of this cosmic consciousness, this awareness, rather than it being an intellectual idea or something that I fleetingly experienced. Um, I think it's important to mention that everybody has vastly, vastly different experiences with DMT, with ayahuasca, and all the rest of it. So, yeah. anybody listening, it's really important to note that you know, we—it's—it's it's an entire question mark. We never know what's going to happen. Even those of us who have experienced these things, you go in the next time, it can be entirely different. Yes, that's um, a very important caveat. And you—you you mentioned the word shamanism earlier, and I would add that. Um, one of the things that often is not explained as well as it might be with the, when if you go to Peru to do this or you work with another kind of plant is ultimately these are shamanic experiences and we just happen to be ex approaching them through the uh, mediation of a plant but the, you know you can get there with drumming and other yep. things I've done so yeah yeah and and so now I'm actually I've got books on shamanism and I'm studying shamanism and I've actually had a whole bunch of experiences that are actually shamanic experiences and um uh so uh, I'm I'm and I'm having those outside of working with any plants now this is something I wish we had gotten into earlier but I did want to mention um something before we get into that and we certainly can um I think it's also important to mention that in the history of shamanism um it, w it used to be the medicine man or woman that would be drinking ayahuasca on behalf of the person who comes to ask for help. Right. Um, this is, you know, the old um, setting, and this is how it was done for thousands of years until, you know, recently. And I think that what you alluded to in terms of things, um, the situation that we are living in today, um, 
environmentally in the world and in so many other ways, how it's coming to a head. I think that this m might very well be the reason why um, the medicine is now becoming more available. I think that it's quite intentional. Um, Graham Hancock mentioned that, you know, it's like extending its vines into the Western world, and I, I, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also a response to the encroachment that happens because of the media in the West extending its um, itself into these places where indigenous people were, who very few indigenous people in the world still live the way that they did, but those who are or are trying to are being encroached upon, you know, by the Western influence, and so they're starting to experience with their people um, addictions and anxiety and things that they never really had to contend with before. And I think the medicine itself is reaching out and saying, you know, welcome. <laughs> welcome to this greater understanding of things because this is really the only way that things can change, you know. It's, yes. it's not just through hearing it, somebody else talk about it, it's through experiencing it for yourself. So we're all just feeling our way through this and there are people with very strong opinions about it should only be done this way and mm. it, DMT shouldn't be done and this and that. And of course there's legalities. I mean, you know, it is important to mention that um, that the DMT is is um, I think a Schedule One drug here. It's illegal anyway in Canada. I don't know if it's Schedule One, but it's it's as we always note in these kinds of conversations. That here here we we're talking about a chemical that's endogenous to the human brain. It is in us, yes. <laughs> and it's our dream chemical when we have our rapid eye movement sleep at four in the morning. It's because our I think it's our pineal gland anyway is is, sure. is dumping massive amounts of DMT into our brains. And yet, uh, our legal system is telling us that we can't ingest this in a in a plant or other form. It's ridiculous. Sure, but you know, again, there's this there's this um, entity that you know we call a legal body or or government, and their dilemma is they have taken responsibility for this, and we just agreed that we don't know what's going to happen every time we take it. So, you know, we either become a people that are more comfortable with the unknown and, and mm -hmm. take some chances, in, in, or we continue to say, um, we agree that you must protect us, and if that's the case, then they can't really go about saying we can protect you when they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that we're all, things, attitudes, you know, I hope, are changing because of the fact that you see, even though through dark experiences and unpredictable stuff, you know, we can't help but see how the community at large is benefiting from all of this experience that we're having with well, these Well, eventually, I mean, the people, especially in the United States, are going to realize that um, the whole world isn't the United States. And so <laughs> people are just going to South America and doing it. And uh, as you know, many of those people are former servicemen and women who served in Afghanistan and Iraq and right. elsewhere, and they're suffering from terrible PTSD. Right. I, I won't even guess at the number of people who, former soldiers who commit suicide every day, right. for whom the system has failed in North America and elsewhere. Um, and so they're, they're driven, sadly, to have to buy tickets and sometimes stay at fairly expensive retreat centers to work with these plants. However, the good news is we know that with MAPS and certain other um, research entities, the 
uh, over time, this knowledge is going to become less and less anecdotal. There's going to be long-term studies that are going to show the benefits. Um, some of these stories are finding their way onto the front pages of mainstream media. Which is wonderful. Did you see uh, the last one in the Rolling Stone? I yes. Thought I really was encouraged by that because it was less sensationalistic and it described these kinds of healings. And So um, I was really excited about that. And I'm sure we'll see more. And thank you so much, Guy, for joining me today. Uh, I feel like this discussion could go on and on, and perhaps we'll have to do this again. For sure. Thank you so much. Thanks again. And you've been joining us on Ayahuasca Talks at uh, Radio Regent. And thank you, Radio Regent, for allowing us this time to discuss these wonderful plant medicines.